we've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer. Tap into your most original thinking. Organize your ideas. And create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And today, we have a guest who's made a significant impact in so many facets of creativity and personal development. He's a prolific writer. He's the author of more than 50 books, including The Coach's Way, Fearless creating and the power of daily practice. He's a sought after speaker and educator. My guest is Eric Maisel. Eric, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. It's great to be with you. Uh, We're stamping our creative passport today in the Bay Area. And Eric, we like to go around the world talking to creative practitioners. And one thing I've looked for is that thread in the study and coaching you've done with so many creatives. What is something that you see on the pros and cons. In other words, what stimulates someone's creativity? And then on the other, maybe what hinders them from really reaching a creative potential? To start with what hinders them, lack of self-trust, self-doubt, and that thing that happens to so many people that is stifling of their imagination over time. School, family, everybody wants you to know facts for the tests and draw inside the lines. And over time, many people start to lose their ability to imagine. And so even if they have their MFA in something, they may still have lost their ability to imagine. So that's one of the places of one problematic challenge is losing the ability to imagine. Another is misunderstanding process waiting for inspiration, that sort of thing that some people think they ought to do, wait for inspiration. People who are productive know they have to show up every day, even if they're not inspired. (laughs) Tchaikovsky has a great quote, which is, I'm inspired every fifth day, but I only get that fifth day if I show up the other four. (laughs) So misunderstanding process. And I think one of the big ones is not getting started until you have some kind of guarantee that what you're about to do is going to work. And you can never have that guarantee. You have to really be easier with the idea of mistakes and messes than most people are. And it's understandable why people have trouble with the idea of mistakes and messes because all day long, we're supposed to get things right. Mm -hmm. That's a natural human thing. Drive on the correct side of the road, pick up our kids at three, do one right thing after another. And then a time is supposed to come where we have real permission to make mistakes and messes that is creative time. And a lot of people can't make that transition from needing to get things right to having real permission to make a mess. So that's <laughs> it's about three or four or five of the mm-hmm. hundred things that hinder creativity. What supports creativity? Self-direction. The idea that you are the arbiter of meaning in your life, that you get to choose your life purposes. All of those different ways of saying the same thing. You're the boss. If you really believe you're the boss, that you have that kind of self-trust, you will be creative. And then the biggest thing that supports creativity is having a daily practice. Because I think most 
creative people understand that the second they miss a couple of days, months and years vanish. They just disappear. You stop writing your novel for three days and you look up and six months have passed and you're not working mm -hmm. on your novel. Mm -hmm. The only antidote to that, the only real practical antidote to losing those six months is to show up to the work every single day, seven days a week. And that's a high bar goal. Most people can't do that. Most people don't want to think about doing that. But that's really the right way to get creative work done is to show up to it every day. Mm -hmm. I want to explore both of these things that you've talked about. I'll, I'll come back to the daily practice in a moment. But I wanted to highlight the idea of being right as a hindrance. My background being in advertising and marketing and uh, consulting, clients pay you to have the right answer. And yet, they also want to have this exploration of creativity and have you come up with something totally new and different. It, it's quite a conflict. It's quite a conflict. And that's why most business people are confused by what they mean by the word creativity. They don't actually want creativity in the sense of manifesting human potential. They want problem solving, they want innovation, they have a different meaning for creativity, but they don't really want to allow for that thing we're talking about, which is, let's make a big mistake with our next product. Right. I want to be the head of the mistake. <laughs> exactly. So that's not what they really want. So there isn't really a lot of permission for genuine creativity in most. There are some businesses which allow for blue sky thinking and build in the idea that maybe we'll go down the road with a product that doesn't work. Some companies believe in that. Some Silicon Valley companies believe in that. But most companies don't want to go down that route of taking chances. They Like, like the individual creative, they want some kind of guarantee. And they, they want to be working in a lane that, let's call it a conventional lane, where they see other people succeeding, so they know to go down that lane too. And that's not genuine creativity following somebody else's lane. Genuine creativity is doing your own thing. Mm -hmm. And you talked about the power of the daily practice, which is the title of one of your books. And you're really emphasizing the importance of this persistent, consistent effort of exploring your creativity, but putting something down, I'll call it on, in print, but on the screen, on your workshop table, whatever your medium right. might be. What are some of the elements that you find are these daily practices? How do we really put that into something practical? Yeah, let me approach that sideways. Uh, what I try to suggest to all of my creative performing artist clients is that not only do they have a daily creativity practice, but that it be a morning practice and that it be the first thing they do each day. Mm -hmm. And there are some big reasons for that. One is the obvious one. If you were to go to your work seven days a week, you'd get a lot of work done. That's the obvious one. The second is less obvious, and that is we think while we sleep. Most people know about dreaming. We've looked at dreaming far too assiduously for 120 years since Freud wrote The Interpretation of Dreams in 1899. We've been looking at dreams and dreams, but not at the fact that we think in non-REM sleep. We dream in REM sleep, we think in non-REM sleep, and writers will be writing and, and mathematicians will be solving puzzles. You can make use of that sleep thinking if you turn to your work first thing each day. If you go to bed the night before with what I call a sleep thinking prompt, which would sound like, wonder what Mary would like to say to John in chapter three, that kind of thing, your brain will have Mary and John have a conversation all through the night. And then if you turn to your work, you can just take dictation. It's right there. The conversation between, you just had 
an hour and a half or two hours or two and a half hours of free creativity time if you make use of your sleep thinking. That's a big deal thing. And then the third is an existential reason. And that is if you do some real work first thing each day, the rest of the day can be half meaningless and you won't get depressed. It's important to get to something real first thing each day rather than just errands and chores and responsibilities and that long to-do list. If you try to work the other way around, if you try to get to your creative work in the evening, most people are both too tired and a little blue by the end of the evening, a little blue by virtue of not having gotten to their real work all day long. So this is a long-winded way of saying it's really important to get up and get right to your work. That's probably the biggest practical or tactical thing that a creative person can do to change his or her life around. And I didn't want to skip over your thoughts there about depression and feeling the blues, because you've really also talked about this intersection, I will say, of mental health and creativity and some of the factors that contribute to that overlap. I wondered if you could say more about that. It's a very big subject, of course. I'm in a camp called critical psychology or critical psychiatry, where we don't believe in the current mental disorder paradigm as espoused by the American Psychiatric Association and its Bible, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association. (laughs) Number seven or eight or nine or whatever we're on. (laughs) It's a mouthful. But the idea that hating your job is a biological issue that should be treated by pills is crazy. The idea that, that despairing is a biological issue that can be treated with antidepressants is crazy. Most of the things that make us despairing or sad or get us down are human-sized things, not biological issues, not brain issues, but human issues that get us down. So that's A. B, creative people are typically more existential than the next person, and they care about things like mattering or the meaning of life or the psychological experience of meaning or their life purposes, etc., And by virtue of that, they're more susceptible to meaning leaking out of the enterprise of what they're doing. And by that, here they are working on a novel for 143 consecutive days. And on the 144th day, they just throw up their hands and say, this just does not feel like it. I just spent six months on something that's not working, doesn't feel meaningful. I just wasted six months and they plummet. And so they plummet, not just in a psychological sense of plummeting, but in the existential sense of suddenly not having understanding any understanding of what matters in life. A moment before the novel mattered, now the novel doesn't matter. And there's this meaningless vacuum that just opens. There's this void that opens up in that moment. And that's actually a very hard void to fill. If you, just, if you think about it, if you've been spending month after month on this novel and suddenly you discern that it's not. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media, The Patients Speak. Healthcare Innovations, Accelerating the Patient Journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83Bar. Look for The Patient Speak on your favorite podcast app.